Well, good morning. It is so good to see you this morning. Um, We've been here for almost two years, and this is the first time I've seen many of your faces. So when I say it's good to see you, I really, really mean that this morning. It's just good to to see your faces. So today, we're going to start by talking about vending machines. Vending machines are everywhere. You'll you'll find them in shopping malls, on the street, in hotels, airports. Uh, You'll find them in toilets. You'll find them in petrol stations. Uh, Just about anywhere you can imagine, you could find a vending machine. But when it comes to vending machines that come in a mind-numbing variety and volume, then Japan has to be the hands-down, the vending machine capital of the world. The country of Japan has one vending machine for every 30 people. That's a lot of vending machines. A low crime rate and a craving for convenience has made Japan a mecca for automated self-service vending machines. And we aren't just talking about vending machines full of uh, soda, crisps, and sweets. No, Japanese vending machines offer things like rice, sake, uh, umbrellas, canned soup, batteries, beer, utensils, toilet paper, T-shirts, ties, toys, masks, fresh fruit, costumes, raw eggs, Buddhist charms, underwear, earbuds, fresh crepes, glasses, books, milk, both cow and human. Yeah. (laughs) Fresh sushi, kerosene, fortunes, artisanal soup broths that even include a whole grilled fish. And they also have insect-based snacks, including scorpions, rhino beetles, grasshoppers, and giant water bugs. And if you have enough money, you can buy a full-sized car from a vending machine in Japan. It's going to be a big vending machine, right? The blinking lights and the friendly glow of these vending machines seem to beckon from every nook and cranny. Banks of vending machines line busy walkways throughout Japan. Vending machines are convenient and fast. You walk up to one, you scan your credit card or pop in some coins, and suddenly whatever you wanted pops out of the machine. Unfortunately, many people treat God like a vending machine. But using verses that are sometimes taken out of context or misunderstood, people pray for what they want, expecting that God will give them their deepest desires if they have the right amount of faith. They send up their prayers and expect that God will give them what they asked for. I'm sure all of us are guilty of treating God like a vending machine at times. Either we were still learning about prayer or learning about God's nature, or maybe we were misled by pastors or evangelists that insist that we can just name it and claim it in prayer. But this isn't how God works, and it isn't how we should be approaching God. I'll bet you rarely think about vending machines unless there is something you want. Sadly, the same goes for God. Many people hardly even think about God until they want or need something. Our relationships with vending machines are inherently self-centered. We only go to it when we want something, right? And it's not hard to realize that a relationship to God in prayer based on the same principle is an inherently self-centered spirituality. So how do we interpret those verses that seem to indicate that we can get whatever we want from God with the right amount of faith? Today, we're going to be looking at one of those verses that are often misinterpreted 
Uh, Dara read it, but we'll read it again in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, is this verse saying that all you have to do is ask, seek, and knock, and we'll receive whatever we want from God? Or is it saying something completely different about who God is and about our relationship with him in prayer? We will answer these questions today as we discuss these verses, but you can already see how easy it is to misunderstand this verse and make God into a kind of cosmic vending machine. Context is always one of the most important things to consider when you're reading the Bible and when you're trying to discern its meaning. The same is true with these verses. It's necessary to dig into the context of these verses in Matthew, both in the immediate context in, within Matthew and the context of prayer throughout all of Scripture. So with that in mind, let's, let's jump into the verses. <clears throat> Matthew 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Where Jesus is teaching his disciples and a large crowd of listeners. In this famous sermon, Jesus taught his followers things like the Lord's Prayer or the Beatitudes. Uh, and he tells them several par- parables <clears throat> excuse me, to teach the hearers how they were expected to live their lives as followers of Christ. Most of the concepts in Jesus' most famous sermon would have been countercultural and went against most of what the audience was ever used to hearing. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus returns to the subject of prayer in his sermon. In fact, there are more verses on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount than on any other theme. Prayer was obviously a priority in the mind and ministry of Jesus. So starting in verse 7, Jesus begins by, asking, or by saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Asking is certainly a part of prayer. Even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to ask for our daily bread. But seeking and knocking in these verses are also metaphors for prayer. In using the words ask, seek, and knock, Jesus is urging us to a rising scale of intensity in prayer. Asking indicates that we come to God with humility, being aware of our need as a, father, uh, as a child would go to his father. Seek seems to indicate that our prayer should come with a responsible activity of finding God's will. Knock seems to indicate a perseverance in one's asking and seeking. When you urgently need something from a neighbor, you you don't just knock once and walk away if they don't answer the door in a few seconds. No, you keep knocking until they answer the door. The same is true with prayer. Jesus is telling us to keep persevering in prayer with the needs that we have. In fact, there's a sense of perseverance in all of the sections of ask, seek, and knock. The original Greek in this verse is better translated as ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, and knock and keep knocking. As a follower of Jesus, we're expected to come to the Father with our requests continually. 
We are to be constantly seeking and pursuing God's will for our life. And we're to maintain an unrelenting determination and expecting God the Father to answer. Jesus is telling us to persist in prayer and to not be discouraged. If we persist in prayer, this is a test of our sincerity. Do we really want what we're praying for? And if it means that much to us, are we willing to bring it continually into His presence? In verse 8, Jesus says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. If verse 7 is Jesus telling His disciples that they are to exhibit persistence in prayer, then verse 8 teaches us that they can be certain that God will answer prayer. The phrases receives, finds, and it will be opened are given to display the certainty that God will answer our prayers. And then in verses 9 through 11, Jesus gives relatable examples to illustrate his point. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, at first, these examples almost seem comical. But each example, it does make sense in the time and location they were spoken. The little round limestone stones that dotted the seashore in Israel resembled in almost all aspects the shape and color of the loaves of bread which they made at the time. Why would the father uh, give his son a stone when he asks for bread? I mean, they look similar, but obviously only one of them is nourishing or even edible without breaking out the son's teeth, right? Then Jesus gives the example of a son asking for a fish. Why would the father give him a serpent if he asks for a fish? When we hear serpent, we we probably think of snakes, right? But most scholars would agree that when Jesus mentions a serpent here, he's probably referring to an eel. According to Jewish food laws, an eel was forbidden as food because it was an unclean fish. So a father wouldn't mock his son's hunger by offering him a forbidden eel when all he wants is a fish. In Luke's retelling of the Sermon on the Mount, he records one more example. If a son asks for an egg, will his father give him a scorpion? When a scorpion is at rest and it has its tail and claws kind of tucked in, it has kind of a roundish shape. And there's even a pale version of a, of a, of a scorpion, which when folded up would look like an egg. Why would a father give his son a poisonous and possibly deadly animal when all he wants is an egg to eat? An earthly father would neither deceive his hungry son or give him something that would inflict pain. What Jesus is getting at here is that if we, as sinful humans, know how to give good gifts uh, to our children when they ask for them, then how much more would our heavenly father, who is good and generous, not give us good or not give us good things if we ask them of him like earthly fathers who know how to give good gifts to their children our heavenly father who is good and loving will always give us what is best for us god will never refuse our prayers and god will never mock our prayers the greeks had stories about uh, their gods who answered prayer but there was always a barb in it or kind of a double-edged gift for instance Uh, There's a story about Aurora, the goddess of the dawn, 
who fell in love with Tithonus, who was a mortal youth. Zeus, the king of the gods, offered her any gift that she might choose for her mortal lover. Aurora naturally chose that Tithonus might live forever. However, she forgot to ask that he might stay forever young. And so Tithonus grew older and older and could never die, and the gift became a curse. Our God isn't like this. As a true Heavenly Father, He has our best in mind when He grants our requests. Now, let's go back to the questions I posed earlier. Do these verses mean that God will give us whatever we ask if we keep asking, seeking, and knocking? In a word, no. The lesson here is that God will answer our prayers, but He will answer them in His way. His way will be the way of perfect wisdom and perfect love. His way will ultimately be the way which God sees as the best for us. This section on prayer from Jesus is telling us that God will answer, but that God will answer according to His will, with wisdom and love for His children. Here's an example. Uh, when my boys were small, we liked to do out thing, outdoor things together. We'd go out into the forests of Colorado and hike and things like that. And uh, one of the things that they wanted at a very young age was a pocket knife. And so they came to me and asked me for a pocket knife. Now, they were probably about four or five years old. And uh, yeah, my wife and I were like, ooh, maybe a little too young. So <clears throat> what we decided is that we told them basically no at that point, but that we would give it to them later on when they were a little bit more responsible and a little bit more grown up. Now, I was a good father in that when they asked me for a knife, I didn't hand them an eel and say, make the most of it. But I was a wise and loving father who knew that they weren't ready for a gift like that. In the meantime, I started to teach them under my close supervision how to properly use a knife, how to sharpen it, and how to hand it to someone else safely. I prepared them for the day when they would be ready to receive that gift. I answered their immediate request with a no, but told them to wait, and then I started preparing them for the day when my answer would be a yes. Sometimes God does that as well. He always answers, but sometimes His answer is an outright no because He knows what is best for us. Or other times, God wants us to wait, and He will prepare us in the meantime. God's answer isn't always a yes. God knows us, and He knows if we're able to handle receiving what we asked for. Very often, if God answered our prayers like we want Him to, it would be the worst possible thing for us. In our ignorance, we often ask for gifts, which would be our ruin. I remember the film Bruce Almighty. Maybe you've seen it. With Jim Carrey. In the film, Jim Carrey's character complains that he could do a better job than God, so God gives him his power. After a few days of selfishly correcting some wrongs in his own life using his new supernatural powers, he begins to hear thousands of voices all at once praying in his head. So he meets with God to complain about the voices of the world in his head, and God says, that's not even the entire world's prayers, that's just a small segment of Buffalo, New York. The prayers are too much for him, so Jim Carrey's character, he manifests an email system to organize all of the prayers, and he starts to answer them one by one. 
However, they're, they're all coming in too quickly, and he can't even make a dent in the numbers. So he decides to select all and click yes to all of the prayers. In the next scene, chaos ensues as thousands of people get their prayers answered with a yes. On television, the news reports that there was an unusual amount of lottery winners, all from the Buffalo, New York area. 11,000 people in Buffalo, New York had the exact winning lottery numbers. A few scenes later, there's a riot, and this rioter runs up in, uh, to the television, uh, to the news reporter, and screams, I hate the lottery. I only won 17 bucks. I'm glad we, we serve a God who answers us in wisdom, knowing what we need. God always answers, but He always answers in His way, which means His answer is sometimes no, and His answer is sometimes wait. Taken out of context, these verses would seem to indicate that believers have a blank check when it comes to prayer. It seems to say that we can get anything we ask for as if God was simply a benevolent vending machine. But this is not true. These verses must be understood within their immediate context and in the context of the whole Bible's teaching on prayer. Therefore, verses which seem like unqualified promises are, are restricted by other Scripture passages throughout the Old and New Testaments. For example, I'll give you a few. Psalm 66.18 says that the person praying should have no unconfessed sin in their life. James 1.6-8 says that we must pray in faith. Luke 18.1-8 says that prayer must be offered persistently. Hebrews 10.22 says that prayer should be sincere. James 4.3 says that we need to ask with the correct motives. 1 John 5.14 says that we should pray within the conformity of the will of God. Now, this is by no means a complete list of, of scriptures centering around prayer, but for today it should be sufficient to explain what I mean. When these conditions for prayer are met, a Christian can have the confidence that God will hear and answer. This assurance is based on the character of God, our loving Father. Now let's jump into the context of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus outlines the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love expected of followers of Jesus. And then in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus assures his disciples that these traits can be theirs if sought through prayer. Rather than demanding that his followers do the impossible because those qualities that he highlights are impossible for sinful man, Jesus instead gives them the means to do the impossible by asking God for these qualities through faithful, active, and persistent prayer. Well, let's talk about the application of these verses into our daily lives by asking two critical questions. First, how can someone personally know God as Father? Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins, and He rose again so that He could save those who would believe and place their faith in Him. If you're here today and you haven't surrendered to Jesus, I pray that you would place your faith in Him. When you do, you become a child of God. God becomes your heavenly Father, and you are his adopted sons and daughters with all of the rights and privileges that go with that. 
Not only is your relationship with God restored and your sins wiped out once and for all, but you will be saved from hell and you will spend your eternity with God. Everything in these verses that we looked at today is resting on the reality that the divine promise of success in prayer is given to sons and daughters in God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Success in prayer is fixed to the fatherhood of God. Placing your faith in Jesus means that you will be able to personally know God as your Father. And if you know today in your heart that you need to make that decision and you feel the Holy Spirit calling you, please speak to myself or Pastor Jason or any of the church elders and we would be happy to help you with the next steps. The second question for application this morning is, how do we apply the ask, seek, and knock model for prayer into our own prayer life? First, ask and keep on asking. Be sure that asking is initiated by the right motives and then bring those requests to God. Ask God to align you to His will as you bring your requests to Him. Prayer, prayer isn't a way of manipulating God into getting what we want. Prayer is a way of discovering what God wants for us. It's not so much trying to change the will of God, but for our will to be conformed to His will. Second, seek and keep on seeking. Seeking is putting prayer into action. Search for answers in Scripture and take action by seeking to hear God through His Word. Seek the counsel of mature believers and ask for godly advice about how you're supposed to proceed. Then put your prayers into action. For instance, if you're praying that God would feed and clothe a homeless person that you pass on the street, perhaps you are the person that God would use to feed and clothe that homeless person. And then lastly, knock and keep knocking. Be persistent. Keep bringing your requests to God. The more you bring your requests to God, the more He will know your sincerity in asking and the more opportunities He has to conform you to His will and provide a clear understanding of what we really need. Persistent prayer leads to the discovery of what God really wants for us. Also, the more time we spend in prayer, the more our relationship with God grows as we develop a conversational bond with Him. Persistent prayer builds trust and dependence on God. God wants to give us what we need, but more than that, He wants us to know Him personally and be satisfied in His love for us. To conclude today, I want to make sure I'm clear that God never promises that we will be healthy, wealthy, and free from problems. If we pray for those things, we have no scriptural assurance that God will answer our requests in this life. God isn't a benevolent vending machine just spitting out whatever we want. God is our heavenly Father who loves us and will give us what He knows is best for us. Looking at the teachings from Jesus about prayer and looking at the teachings from the entirety of Scripture, we know that we can be assured that God will answer our prayers when we pray within God's will. We won't always get what we want, 
but we will always get what God wants for us. Prayer isn't about what we can get from God. Prayer is about God. Prayer is about how we can build a deeper relationship with Him as we learn more about His nature and depend on Him for our daily needs. In the very act of praying, we receive something from God. As we open our hearts to God in prayer, God's hands are open to give us good gifts, namely Himself. As the theologian J.I. Packer once said, the prayer of a Christian is not an attempt to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of helplessness and dependence. My grandfather used to play this game when I was small, where he would take a bunch of coins from his pocket, and he would place them in his hand, and he would close, close his fist tightly. I would jump up on his lap, and my job was to pry open his fingers one at a time. I was small, so it took a lot of work to get those fingers open. But once I would get one open, he wouldn't close it again, so I could get to work on the next finger until I finally had his closed fist open and I could help myself to those coins. Once those coins were, were in my possession, I would push his hand away, jump down, and run off in glee. Sometimes we come to God like this. We come for the coins in his hand. Lord, I need a passing mark on my exam. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my mom is sick. We reach for the coins, and when God grants the request, we push his hand away and run off. There's nothing wrong with asking for those requests, but more important than the coins in God's hand is the hand of God himself. This is why we pray. Prayer shows our dependence on God. The greatest gift we can receive from prayer is God himself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to learn to pray with unselfish motives. Help us to pray with humility and dependence on you. Help us to pray for your will in our life, knowing that you want what is best for us. Help us to let go of the things we think we need and seek after what you would have for us. Give us persistence in prayer and give us faith in knowing that we will receive an answer if we pray according to your will. Father, use prayer to mold us into your likeness and to deepen our relationship with you. Thank you that we can have a conversational relationship with you as our loving Father. And thank you that you have adopted us as sons and daughters when we place our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.